Hello, and welcome to the Northboro Church of Christ. Today we're going to be talking about dishonorable and honorable vessels. What they are in the Bible, why uh, we need to talk about them, and most importantly, how we can become one or the other. And this is based around Exodus chapter 7, and it's related to some issues that have been discussed by theologians for thousands of years. And so we are going to try to unpack those tonight in a way that is understandable and agrees with the scriptures. Let's start in Exodus chapter 7. We'll start in verse 3. Now, for some background on this chapter, this chapter is right after Moses leaves um, where he was shepherding and goes back to Egypt to free the people of Israel from Pharaoh. And they run into some trouble. Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go. And so God tells uh, Moses this in Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. And so the chapter goes on. Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh. They switch, uh, they turn Moses' staff into a serpent. But Pharaoh's uh, magicians also turn their staffs into serpents. And even though Moses' staff eats up all of the other staffs, Pharaoh still doesn't believe. And so Moses turns the Nile to blood. And as the chapters go on, we'll be learning about them more in sermons later on in the series. But Pharaoh's heart stays hard, like what God said, through all the ten plagues. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And in fact, Paul has some things to say about this in Romans chapter 9. So let's turn there. And this is where we're going to be basing a lot of our study today. Romans chapter 9, let's start in verse 14. So, also a little bit of background on Romans chapter 9. So the whole beginning of Romans, Paul is making the case to the Jews that you cannot be saved by following the Old Testament law. And furthermore, you're not going to be saved just because you are a Jew. And in this portion of chapter 9, he's anticipating one of their counter-arguments. And that is the counter-argument that why would God ask them to follow the law if they can't really keep it? And so this is his answer to that counter-argument. Start in verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, 
I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And here's the verse that we're really interested in. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Nor does the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. And this is where the title of our message comes from. What if God although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. So, there is a lot to unpack in those verses. Paul was one of the few intellectuals who God used heavily in his ministry. Many of the other people who God used, the other apostles, prophets, there were men who didn't necessarily have a lot of formal education. And so sometimes Paul, he can be a little bit hard to understand. And in fact, Peter, in Peter chapter 3, he says this. He says, Paul writes many things which are hard to understand and which the unstable distort to their own destruction. And so we want to be careful tonight that we're not distorting what is said here. As this chapter has caused massive amounts of debate in the Christian world. And so we're going to try to figure out what Paul means. So first of all, let's, let's think about the idea of vessels of wrath and vessels of destruction. Because that's what the whole entire idea is centered around. And we can think about it with respect to physical everyday items, right? So a vessel uh, for honorable use might be some nice, fancy crystal stemware. Or maybe some fine china. And a vessel for dishonorable use might be a toilet or a chamber pot. And so Paul is comparing that idea from the physical world to humans, and that there are some people who are used by God for dishonorable uses. They're still used by God, but they're used for dishonorable uses. They are the toilet. And there's other people who are used for honorable purposes, and they're the fine china. And so we're going to examine several things related to that. The first thing we need to talk about is what is the purpose of dishonorable vessels to God? Because, as we know, God is a loving God. And the vessels of wrath, the vessels that are destined for destruction, like Pharaoh, often cause harm and suffering to people. Pharaoh, we know, he had punished 
in the previous chapter, the leaders of Israel. And he was oppressing the people of Israel. And we see example after example of people who oppress and cause harm. So why does God allow that? We're not going to talk about all of the reasons as to why there's evil in the world. But we are going to specifically talk about how God uses people who go against him. And God does use them. God has a plan. And even if you're not going to go along with his plan, you are going to be used by God in one way or another. And that's what we're going to find out tonight. So, the first and obvious thing that's mentioned in this chapter is that God uses these dishonorable vessels, people who rebel against him oftentimes, to glorify himself. And that just shows how awesome he is in the fact that even when people shake their fists at him, God can still use that to reflect back his own greatness. If, and, and the way he does that is God can show how amazing he is and that he can break evil. Egypt, they're a major world power at this point in time. And they have a huge military. Um, they are the superpower at that time period. And God, as we'll find out in future sermons, he absolutely crushes them. And as we'll also see later on, all of the nations see that and they're amazed and they know. For example, the people in Jericho, they knew that the Egyptians had been put down and they were terrified of the Israelites because of that. So God used it to glorify himself. But there might be, you know, some part of your brain that that, that answer just grates against a little bit. Because it makes God, in some ways, seem like he doesn't care about humans. He's just using them. And so the other reason that God uses these dishonorable vessels is as examples for other people so that they won't follow the same path. We're talking about people remembering what had happened in Egypt. And in fact, if we look, 500 years after this event in 1st Samuel chapter 6 1st Samuel chapter 6 and verse 6 so the people of Israel had the enemies uh, named the Philistines and they took the Ark of the Co the Ark of the Covenant to battle with them to try to gain God's blessing and they lost the battle and the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they took it back to their capital city. But they soon found that wherever the ark was placed, there was a plague that rained down of boils and mice. And wherever they took it, they transferred it from city to city. There is always a plague that followed it. And so they asked their religious leaders and magicians, what should we do? And this is what they answered. Why do you harden your hearts? This is the religious leaders of the Philistines talking to the political leaders of the Philistines. 
as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had severely dealt with them. Did they not allow the people to go and departed? Now therefore, take and prepare a cart, two milk cows, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home and away from them. And they go on to detail how the Philistines should return the Ark of the Covenant to the people of Israel. But the part I want you to notice is the fact that 500 years later, roughly, people remember what happened to the Egyptians. And they knew that God was a true God, and he was not someone to be messed with. And that saved these Philistines from probably certain destruction. Now, sometimes people don't learn from these examples. If we look at Psalms chapter 95, it's pretty obvious the people of Israel who saw the plagues, they didn't learn. He says, Do not harden your hearts as at Merib in the days of Manasseh in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation. And I said, There are people who err in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly they shall not enter my rest. So these are the people that he's talking about here who saw all of those plagues, who Moses led out of Egypt. And they saw what happened to Pharaoh when his heart was hard. And yet they still chose to harden their hearts. So that's something we need to be careful of. So, we know the purpose for dishonorable vessels. And we know that their end is not going to be enjoyable. And that they are going to be broken. The question is, if we look at Romans again, and you might want to put a marker in Romans for the duration of this. But if you look at Romans verse uh, chapter 9, verse 18, it says, God will harden who he hardens. And as you continue to read that, it almost sounds like God forces people to be these dishonorable vessels. He's chosen certain individuals, and he's just going to harden them. And so what we want to investigate, is that true? Let's turn to 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So if you read more carefully in Romans, you'll see that in actuality, Pharaoh was an exception. Because if we look at this verse, it's obvious that God does not want anyone to become a dishonorable vessel. He doesn't want them to perish, to be broken. So how do we reconcile that with Romans chapter 9. And that's basically what we're going to talk about for the rest of the message. But for now, I want to, to show you that when Paul is talking about Pharaoh, he's using Pharaoh as a counterexample. So, 
If you've ever taken any higher level mathematics or proofs, you know that any proposition or theorem can be disproved by a counterexample. If you can find one counterexample that the theorem doesn't agree with, you've disproved the theorem. But you cannot prove a theorem with a counterexample. You can't say because the theorem is true in this one case, it's always true. And that's what the situation is partially in Romans chapter 9. Pharaoh, if you look through the Old Testament, there's only two places where people's hearts were hardened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God, and the Canaanites, whom Joshua and the Israelites destroyed later on when they came into the Promised Land, God hardened their hearts. Those are the only two people where it says God hardened their hearts. In every other spot, it's people hardening their own hearts. And in fact, the important thing is, as we know from Peter, and from other verses we're going to look at later tonight, it's not how God works today. He's not hardening your heart. And you have the choice not to become a dishonorable vessel. Now I'm going to go on a little bit of a, a side argument here. And this portion of what I'm saying is opinion. If you disagree with it, that's okay. I can't back it up 100% from scriptures. But if you're like me, you want to know a little bit more. Why, why did God choose in this situation to harden Pharaoh's heart? And I think the answer to that can be found if we look carefully about when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. If you read through the book of Exodus... It says in chapter 8 that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and in the previous chapters. And it's not until after that, in chapter 9, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I think what we can learn from that, as I said, this is my opinion, but is that when God hardens someone's heart, he gives them courage to do what they want to do anyway, even if they might not have had the courage to do it. It's possible if God hadn't have hardened Pharaoh's heart, he would have backed down earlier, and he wouldn't have made it through the ten plagues. But it wouldn't be because he had repented. It wouldn't be because he had actually chosen to follow God. It would just be because he didn't have enough courage to keep going and go all the way through to his own destruction. And so God just gave him the courage he needed to do what in his heart he truly wanted to do anyway. And that's the same, I think, with the Canaanites. They hated Israel, and they did not want to make peace. But it is possible that after Israel had destroyed so many kingdoms, some of them may not have had the courage to go up against Israel if God hadn't have in their hearts. Just my opinion, but if you you know, like to study things in more detail, that is something to look into. So anyway, back to the important part of the message. It's not how God works today, and we can prove that from verses in the New Testament, both in Peter and in other places. And we're going to actually get a little bit later and talk about some other verses. But before we do that, first... Can we choose to be vessels 
of dishonor. Right? God's not going to force us to be vessels of dishonor, but can we choose that? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there is not in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it still is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So it seems pretty obvious from that verse that we can choose, if we so desire, to harden our hearts against God. Let's also look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18. This is a little bit of a longer section, so bear with me as we read it. But it's an excellent set of verses. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 1. The word which came from Jeremiah to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hands of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning the nation or concerning the kingdom to uproot to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation, which I have spoken against, turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment I might speak concerning the nation, or concerning the kingdom, to build up and to plant it. And if it does evil in my sight, not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I have promised to bless it. So now then, speak to the men of Judah, and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O oh, turn back, each of you, from your evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say, It is hopeless, for we are going to follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. So, this isn't talking about Christians, and it's not talking about us today. But the principle still applies. God is a potter, as Paul says in Romans chapter 9. And he's making us, he's trying to make us into a vessel. But if we resist, and we become flawed in some way, and we harden, like clay tends to harden, then he may be forced to make us into a vessel of dishonor, as that's the only way that he can use us. So, obviously... On the other hand, there's vessels of honor. And there's so many rewards that come, as we know from the scriptures, from being a vessel of honor. We get to draw near to God's very throne with confidence. We can enter his rest. And we don't have to worry about our destruction. So the question is, if we can choose to be a vessel of dishonor, can we choose to be a vessel of honor? And again, 
something that oftentimes confuses people is that if you read just the verses in Romans that we read, and you stop in verse 23, it sounds like you can't. Because in verse 23, he says, he prepared beforehand for glory. And it sounds like he's talking about God decided before the world started that there are certain individuals he's going to save. And those are the ones that are saved. But if you look a little bit closer, and you continue reading, you'll find out that that's not quite the case. He says there that it's the ones who are chosen and the ones who are called who are going to be those vessels of honor. So the question is, who is it that's called? For that, we can look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. And we can look at verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. So for some background on this verse, right before this, Jesus tells the parable of the wedding feast. And in that parable, God, the Father, uh, or the Father of the, the groom, who represents God, invites many people to his wedding feast for his son. But many of them refuse. And so instead he invites all the people from the streets to come to the wedding feast. But they have to put on the wedding garments. And so all of the people from the streets who accept the invitation come into the wedding feast. But one of them is not wearing the wedding garment. And the king, who is the father, comes in and sees that person not wearing the wedding garment at the wedding. And that person is thrown out. And so what he's talking about in this verse is God wants everyone to come to the wedding feast. But some people refuse. And other people, they aren't going to put on the wedding garments of Jesus Christ and his blood. And so they will become vessels of destruction. And if you continue to read in Romans, and you read to Paul's conclusion of his arguments that start from the first chapter of Romans and the end sort of halfway through in chapter 10, if we look at that, Romans chapter 10, we see this is much more clear. But what does it say? That would be the scriptures. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So how do we reconcile that with the verses in chapter 9? That sound like God has chosen people before the foundations of the world to be vessels of destruction or vessels of mercy. And to do that, we just need to look a little bit closer at chapter 9. And you'll see it doesn't say he's chosen individuals. 
it says he's chosen those who are going to be vessels of mercy, and he's chosen those who are going to be vessels of destruction. To put it in a way that maybe is more clear for those of us who live today, God set up, before the foundations of the world, the groups that would be saved, and the groups that would be vessels of destruction. And he set up the criteria for those groups. If you want to be in the church, and you want to be a vessel of mercy, then you have to do what it says here in Romans chapter 10. And otherwise, you are going to be a vessel of destruction. And so he has set up who's going to be saved. It's those that believe. Those that believe are going to be vessels of mercy. And those that disbelieve are going to be condemned. And they are going to be vessels of destruction. And so we can also look at other verses. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong verses. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Pretty straightforward. If you believe, you can become a vessel of mercy. When we can think about the parable of the sower and the fertile soil, the fertile soil was able to take the word of God, and that word of God was able to sink in and to grow. But if we harden our hearts and we don't allow that seed to take root and to grow, then if we look at Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to people producing fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So if you choose to go against Christ, who's the stone in this verse, you're going to be shattered. You're going to be that vessel, and you will be shattered. You'll be shattered like Pharaoh was. Or you can choose to be that soft, moldable clay, and to let Christ form you into something greater, into something that he can use for his kingdom. At some point, you're going to meet Christ. You can meet him now as your redeemer, or you can meet him later as your judge. And so don't let anyone tell you that, first of all, you can't be saved. You can be saved. God is holding out the rescue lifesaver to you. 
But if you refuse, don't also let anyone tell you that you're going to be okay. We don't have all the details on what hell is like. We know it's going to be an unfortunate place. But I think one of the reasons why it's so miserable to be there is that you're going to know that it was your own choice that put yourself there. You're going to know that you deserve it. And you're unfortunately going to be able to look back at your life and you're not going to be able to blame it on your parents, on your society, on anyone else. It's going to be your doing. So I hope that you will take this to heart. And if you are a Christian already, also be careful. There's a verse in Timothy where God says, or um, Paul says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that verse, he's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to Christians. So we need to be careful that we aren't drifting away from God. And that we are allowing him. I don't, I don't want this to be a message of doom and gloom. Because if we are that soft, moldable clay, he can take us. And we can become so much better than what we are. So I hope you've learned something from this tonight, and I hope that you're motivated going forward to have a soft and moldable heart for God. I hope you have a good week, and if you ever want to study about any of these kind of things, we at Northboro would be happy to study with you. Thank you.